Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. It's time again for an update on the latest in labor and employment law developments. To remind you, updates are all based on recent cases that have been decided, new laws that have been passed, and general news from the world of labor and employment law. Let's start with a sex discrimination case that involves the so-called same-actor inference. In Osakovich versus Sam's East, Inc., a 14-year employee was gradually promoted into a position of co-manager of a large warehouse-style store. Over time, the employee started to believe that the market manager in charge of a group of stores treated male store managers better than female store managers. The market manager and the employee had a series of disagreements about the neatness of the store, and the employee received disciplinary write-ups. Ultimately, the employee was terminated for the neatness issues, and she filed a lawsuit. Now, a key piece of evidence that she pointed to was that two male managers had each been written up one time for similar issues, but neither had been terminated. The court noted that the market manager had promoted the employee about a year before terminating her, and that one might reasonably infer that sex was not a factor in the termination if the same actor had initially promoted and then later terminated the employee. But the court did not dismiss the case, stating that the same actor inference is generally not enough to grant summary judgment to the employer. As a result, this one will be decided by a jury. Now, the takeaway is that the same actor inference is a really good defense. It simply doesn't make logical sense that someone would hire or promote someone despite their discriminatory animus toward them and only later act on it. However, while it's a good defense, it's not usually enough to get a court to dismiss a case without more. Next, let's look at a case involving popcorn and harassment. I love popcorn. Harassment, not so much. In Delagrange versus Weaver Popcorn Manufacturing, a worker at a popcorn production facility alleged that he had been sexually harassed by a male supervisor and then terminated for complaining about it. The alleged bad actor in this case was a supervisor who engaged in a lot of inappropriate conduct. According to the employee, the supervisor stood with his crotch in the worker's face while the worker was on a machine and this happened several times. On one occasion, the supervisor allegedly grabbed the employee's backside. On several occasions, the supervisor struck him in the crotch with an object on a lanyard. The supervisor would climb a ladder the employee had climbed and press his crotch into the employee. And the employee also alleged that the same supervisor put a sticker on his back reading, quote, free delicious butt, end quote. There are actually more allegations, but you get the idea. The employee complained about the conduct and was later terminated for performance issues. In the lawsuit that followed, the court actually sided with the company on the sexual harassment issues, finding that the conduct was not motivated uh, or based on sex because there was no evidence that the supervisor was acting with a sexual motive. Now, this is based on some Seventh Circuit cases that use a different analysis for same-sex harassment. I would not be surprised to see that change at some point in the near future. But the point I want to make about this case is that the court sided with the employee on his retaliation claim because the claim that he was terminated for performance was not well documented. In fact, the evidence that did exist seemed to indicate that his performance was strong. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. In in the employment law world, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. And I still frequently encounter cases where an employer has terminated or wants to terminate an employee based on performance, but when you look at the actual documentation, the evidence of poor performance just isn't there. The takeaway is to always document performance issues. It's not enough to claim that issues existed after the fact because no employee in a lawsuit is going to agree that they had poor performance. Moving on, Hattabaugh versus TMS International is a wage and hour case out of Pennsylvania. The employer in that case is a provider of services for steelmakers. Now it contracted with a steel producer to provide slag removal at a steel mill. The employee was employed as a pit operator at the mill. Initially, the employer had four pit operators, but two were let go, leaving only two pit operators to handle 12-hour shifts when the mill operated. Now, according to the employee, to cover the work, he needed to work 84 to 87 hours per week. However, the site manager allegedly told the employee to keep his hours below 62 hours a week. The employee claimed that he worked the 84 to 87 hours per week, but was paid for substantially fewer hours. The employer argued that the employee could not simply rely on his self-serving testimony that he had worked extra hours off the clock. But the court sided with the employee stating that if an employee establishes that an employer's records are inaccurate or inadequate, the employee carries his burden. If he proves that he has in fact performed work for which he was improperly compensated, and if he produces sufficient evidence to show that the amount and the extent of the work as a matter of just and reasonable inference, the burden then shifts to the employer to come forward with evidence of the precise amount of work performed or with evidence to negate the reasonableness of the inference to be drawn from the employee's evidence. Now, in this case, the fact that the pit operators had to work 12-hour shifts and there were only two of them was sufficient to create an inference that they were working more hours than were reported. The issue here is a classic one for wage and hour cases. Employers simply must have completely accurate time records or face this kind of a scenario. And it's not enough for the records to look good on the surface. They have to withstand scrutiny which they did not do in this case. I'll give you another example that I see fairly often and is problematic. I often see records that show an employee working the exact same hours every single day, day after day, week after week, month after month, and it always makes me think that they're inaccurate because no one works the exact same time every single day. Employees recording actual start and finish times will have some variances in their daily hours. If they don't, it might be worth looking into. Next, let's consider an OSHA issue from Ohio. Two Dollar Tree stores are being potentially hit with significant penalties following OSHA inspections. The inspections were prompted by an employee complaint about a leaky roof and wet floors. In both inspections, OSHA noticed hazards related to obstructed egress, unstable stacks, inaccessible electrical equipment and fire extinguishers, trip and fall hazards caused by water, carts, boxes, trash, and merchandise. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really think of Dollar Tree as the type of workplace OSHA would be focused on. But since 2017, OSHA has conducted more than 500 inspections at Family Dollar and Dollar Tree and found more than 300 violations. So the first thing here is that OSHA is not just interested in factories and warehouses and heavy industrial workplaces. They can go just about anywhere. 
The second thing to think about is that once you get on the radar for being a problem with safety issues, they will keep a closer eye on you, as evidenced by the number of inspections at these types of businesses. Don't sleep on your safety obligations, or you might get a visit from OSHA. Finally, let's talk about politics in the workplace. I've touched on this before, but I noticed a couple of recent news stories that made me think of it again. Recently, the Washington football team, or commanders, or whatever they decided to call themselves, fined one of their coaches $100,000 for comments he made on Twitter about January 6th and George Floyd. In a more recent story, Universal Music Group terminated an employee who refused to work after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade because he claimed to be in mourning. Now, politics at work is just usually not a good idea if you don't work in politics or the media. These two stories illustrate a couple of points. First, even statements outside of work on social media can get you into trouble depending on your position and what you say. Many people still think that they can act on social media with impunity or anonymity, but that is not usually the case. Coworkers and customers can see what you post and they may complain, and this leaves your employer in a tough position, and I can't stress this enough, each one of these kinds of issues needs to be carefully considered on a case-by-case basis and probably with consultation with counsel. As to the other story, you should probably not refuse to do your job in protest of a political issue. Whether or not your employer sympathizes with your view, refusing to work creates an issue for them and for you. He probably should have just called in sick. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.